the football frenzy. Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The football frenzy on Cofield and Company. A lot of college football on a Monday to get into. Yeah. Um, first off, it's a minor note, but I think it, it, it has some connection to the Mountain West and UNLV. You know, it's funny, while the Mountain West Conference schools say they're standing pat and Craig Thompson is doing very little to ensure the future of the Mountain West Conference on the football front, um, before the AAC, AAC added a bunch of schools, I was saying they need to go to the Mountain West and go grab some Texas schools and get into Texas. And the two schools I mentioned were North Texas and UTSA. Now, the funny thing is on San Antonio, uh, talking to people, I was told, well, you know, they just don't spend enough money on their football program. Is that right? Uh, Because when I was there, I was like, okay, they've got the Alamo Dome. This thing could be fitted for 60,000 fans if they want. Basically, it's, you know, it's fitted for like 30. Um, But it's, you know, it's a nice stadium. It's a school that's got 35,000 undergrads. It's a major city in San Antonio. I'm like, they look like they're into football big time here. You may want to grab them before they explode. Their coach, Jeff Trailer, is on list for both Texas Tech and now TCU. They just signed him to an extension for $2.8 million a year. He was making $900,000. $2.8 million a year. That's investing in football. Yeah, and I think it goes beyond, you know, you, you think about, like you said, the state of Texas football, and that starts at the high school roots, you know, and, and it does so when you as you move up. It doesn't mean that you go right to the Texases and the Texas Techs. And the, like you mentioned, Texas, uh, San Antonio, North Texas, these are still schools that within their conferences that they're playing in have made some moves. Listen, we've seen what happened in Florida, right? You had Miami, Florida, Florida State. Then all of a sudden, South, South Florida, Florida, Central Florida want to start playing at a high level. FAU's putting money into the program. So now you got six or seven programs in that state. Yeah. Um, and it's the same thing in Texas. Yeah. So I think the Mountain West blew it. Uh, not going, well, out, not going out and getting UTSA. I was going to say, and I saw this on, on the run. I said Mountain West Conference missed on these guys. Maybe they just don't want it. Maybe, maybe they they're not. Maybe they missed the Mountain West on purpose. You could go after them and recruit them, but you know, maybe this is where they see the money's at. TCU does have an opening. Kind of surprising over the weekend that TCU announces. Uh, Gary Patterson and, and the school have agreed yeah. to a part ways. He's been there 22 years. You, you know, if you haven't followed Mount West Conference football and what Gary Patterson did at TCU and the kind of winning he did, getting them to the promised land in Power 5 in the Big 12, don't forget where they were. Um, but, you know, that always happens, doesn't it? He's 61 years old, and the word is, hey, maybe the program needs a different voice. And I'm sure if Gary Patterson wants to keep coaching, he'll get a job somewhere. Yeah. No doubt, because he's not – this ain't like some 70-year-old dude, not to be an ageist, but he's probably in his coaching prime, and maybe a year off or a couple of months off will get him fired up again. So if I were a school in group of five, I would hire him in a heartbeat. Yeah, Unless we're missing something and there's some scandal coming out that we don't know about. No, I can't imagine. I mean, as you said, he's getting up there. I mean, you know, he, uh, he put together some of the best defensive units in the nation, not just – you know, not just of that program and not just of the conferences it was playing in. Let's not forget that was an annual 
uh, opponent of UNLV's, uh, you know, at, at one point. And there have been some big names that have gone through that program, including LaDainian Tomlinson, Gary Patterson. Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton. And uh, a former Raider great, Greg Townsend. So, yeah, no, I think if he wants to land on his feet, I wonder, of course, where uh, what what our uh, friend Tony Sanchez will be doing cause, since he's down there. Interesting, right? If, if he, Making some connections on, can, a, on, a, on a free gig. Sure, and, or if he could move up a little bit in, in, in those ranks. I'm not saying he's going to take over, but – um, anyway, no, Patterson, he's, he's, he's certainly one of the best college football coaches, um, goes out with, with certain a rep- reputable name. Um, some of the programs he's put together, as I said, some of, the, uh, some of those defenses were just phenomenal. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting to see who takes over that, that program. Officiating uh, a little shaky this weekend when it comes to helmet, to helmet calls and also just helmet calls. I don't know if you saw the video or if you're watching the game. Uh, during the UNLV game, did you see there was a, a bit of a fracas where um, I couldn't – I was on the sideline, and I'm kind of going up and down the sideline, and I see the play from a distance. Yeah. And Brennan Scott comes running off the field after some kind of mix-up. He's a defender, an outside linebacker for the Rebels. I look at him. The doctors are looking at him. He's got blood, like, running down his face. He's busted open over his eye, right? Nothing major, but, but he's bleeding down his face. He's got to come off. And then – you know, just before that, you'd seen a flag, and then I hear the I hear the ref, you know, number twenty two, unsportsmanlike conduct. Like, wait, what just happened? So, as it turned out, if you're watching the game, um, he's in a block. He's in a situation where he's getting blocked. His helmet gets popped off his head, and it's pretty clear as day. The Reno player, number sixty five, grabs him by the shoulder pads and goes, woof, woof, double headbutt with the helmet off, helmet to forehead. Flag, Brennan Scott, unsportsmanlike, because he got all mad. He got headbutted twice, and, and then he, and he really—I didn't even think he went that crazy when I watched the replay of it. But yeah, they uh, they flagged UNLV on that one and missed the guy who initiated contact with the helmet popping off and two headbutts. It's always the one in retaliation, it's right? Al- it's always the one that's reactionary to whatever took place in the first place. It always happens that way. It's amazing, and, and it's, even with a hundred rests on the field, they still miss the first one. That's horrible. That's horrible. Uh, that's bad. Getting headbutted and busted open is bad. The I'm a Jets fan, but come on. Uh, key play late. Jets running back lowers his head. The defender for the Bengals is essentially tacking him, uh, tackling him at the knee or the thigh. The running back drops his head to initiate contact, helmet to helmet, flag, helmet to helmet on the defender. Like, what are you guys watching? What UNLV game was it? Not to a couple of. Was it UNLV? And we were talking about it. You and I were talking about it in the air, and I was breaking down the play. Well, you play. were talking about the near end of the game with San Jose State. Yes. With Harmon getting Friel, where Friel ducked his head a little bit. This this running back, like, he folded himself yes. down. Yes. And yeah. I literally, the dude was going to tackle him on the knee he was or just down. above it. He was already Yep. Down. Yep. And they flagged the defender. And the problem is, when you see those plays like that, is the defenders, they've made their move to come in with their head down. They've, they've crouched down. They've gotten in their defensive stance. And the second that they tilt their head down, if their eyes are off of it for just a split second, to, so coming down and lower the shoulder, they don't see that the running back, the quarterback, the wide receiver has crouched down and lowered their head. And when, that, when, when, it, when they're coming in full force and that offensive skill position player is 
protecting himself by crouching down, bending over, whatever it may be, uh, their head snaps back. And so what does the referee see? She's the head snap back. She's helmet to helmet. Defender gets called and is BS. Coming up, let's get into um, what's going to happen with the first college football playoff rankings coming out. Also, some weirdness around the SEC, especially with Florida, where they get trounced over the weekend against Georgia. And for some reason, Dan Mullen on the Florida program, no media availability this week. And people are pointing at Florida going, hey, how about a little accountability? Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune up today by calling 577-2600. Second and goal for the Bears, about the one and a half. Ben Sims, the handoff, and he's in. Touchdown. Touchdown, Ben Sims. You're listening to Cofield and Company, live at Twin Peaks. Rolling on here on a Monday, Monday Night Football. Let's get into a little college football. Boy, I got a good one here. I like trash talk. Love angst. You know, Washington's been okay this year, and they're taking on Oregon. Jimmy Lake threw this one out there. This is when you know your football program is doing okay if you have to turn to the academics. Instead, and by okay, I mean you're mediocre. Jimmy Lake said uh, this rivalry is way more pumped up than it is. Our battles are really the schools that we go against that have academic prowess, like the University of Washington, Notre Dame, Stanford, USC, and so on and so on. I'll, I'll get to more of the academic angle. I'm not sure that's uh, those are the, uh, the cries in the SEC at times. There's some good schools. Katie George covers the SEC. She does a national show on the weekend. She fills in a bunch during the week. Best week ever. She's on on Sundays. She's up with Cofield and Company. How are you? Hey, Katie. I'm great. How are you guys? We're good. I love when coaches turn to that one where they're like, eh, academically, and we're not really a rival with Oregon, basically saying Oregon's academics suck. Yeah, I always think it's interesting, too. It's like, okay, so you're admitting that you're not playing well this season, right, if that's where you got uh-huh. to do the academic level, right? Oregon's a much better football team this season than Washington is, and they've obviously fallen short of their expectations. So I guess shoot your shot, right? Feel good about yourself in some degree, and uh, I guess the academics is something that they're really prideful about out in Washington. Yes, yes. Um, you know what's funny? I, I mentioned the SEC and academics. Florida actually does have a pretty good academic reputation, but, man, what's going on uh, today is not exactly a great lesson for kids about accountability and you know having to face a little adversity. Have you heard anything about what's going on? Is there something serious? Why did Florida, after losing to Georgia, cancel the rest of their their week of media availability? What's going on with Dan Mullen? Yeah, I, I'm curious to to know what the decision was behind that. He got asked a question about recruiting, and he skipped the question and then canceled the rest of the media availability and. Look, I mean, everybody has adversity at some point in their career, whether you're an individual, whether you're a team. And I know Florida had big-time expectations, and they've really hit a skid, uh, and they haven't played well. I mean, the Georgia game was fascinating to watch. I mean, I was driving back from the Waco-Baylor game trying to make it to the Dallas-Fort Worth airport in time for my flight, and I was trying to watch on my phone. Well, listen on my phone, but kind of watch while I drive. I know that's not very safe. (laughs) <laughs> and the app kept cutting out on me. And every time I tried to log back into the app, there was more points on the scoreboard for Georgia. And in a matter of seconds, and I was like, what on earth is happening in Jacksonville? And so, 
I know that Florida is not in the greatest of situations after having such high expectations last season and, and making it to Atlanta for a title game. But come on, I mean, sometimes you have to answer hard questions. No matter who you are, no matter what kind of player you are, no matter what head coach you are, uh, you have to answer for bad performances, lack of execution, uh, and falling short of what everybody hoped as a fan base. And so I, I'm with you in terms of teaching kids about accountability. Uh, I think it's huge, and that was something that, you know, I was brought up to learn in my household as well as at the University of Louisville. But, I mean, God, like, look at the transfer portal now and and how easy it is for guys to hightail it the minute they lose their starting job or the going going gets tough. Like, I just think that this day and age, athletes coming up, they don't have to be accountable anymore to anyone. And I think that that's really unfortunate for everyone moving forward. That's a brilliant point, and that's something I will bring up all the time. Coaches will complain about the transfer portal and talk about uh, you know loyalty and accountability, and then you see Dan Mullen acting like Dan Mullen, and you're like, well, who's teaching the kids? A lot of you guys are. It's you know, it's it's on you guys. Um, so tell me what's what's the vibe right now at both Baylor and Texas? You got to watch that game this weekend. That was the call we heard coming in uh, before we brought on Katie George. What uh, what's the vibe at both places? Well, I think for one. Steve Sarkeesian likes his team. He just wishes they could finish a football game, right? I mean, three games in a row, they've played really well for three quarters. And, you know, coming into this game this past weekend, you know, they spent so much time talking about the psyche, not necessarily scheme, right? Because they feel good about the scheme. It's just, you know, where are we mentally being able to finish? So I know that there's some frustration because they have great players on that team. I think Casey Thompson is really good, uh, obviously has some inaccuracy issues at times and some decision-making um, situations that he's got to work through. But B. John Robinson is one of the best running backs in the country. Credit to Baylor. Baylor's defense was phenomenal, I thought, on Saturday, which is high praise for Dave Aranda and the coaching staff he's put together in Baylor in, in two short seasons. I mean, they have won two games last year during COVID. Now they're 7-1 and one and have a possible shot winning a Big 12 title this season. So talk about an, a drastic turnaround. Uh, but I, I really have liked you know, meeting some of these coaches throughout the season who are early in their you know, careers in terms of that program at that point. You know, Dave Aranda has been phenomenal for them. I also really enjoyed getting to talk and, and listen to Mel Tucker early on this season at Michigan State. That's another guy who you know, is quick in his tenure at Michigan State. And, God, look at, look at what they were able to do against Michigan uh, this past weekend. So uh, I I think that there's some really bright coaches doing some really good things because, you know, they got their players to believe and buy in so quickly. And I think Baylor and Michigan State are two very, very good examples of that. Do you think Michigan State – well, I'll I'll put put it two ways. Do you believe they're going to be, you know, in the top five or six uh, in this first CFP? Do you believe at the end of the season they'll still be there in the top five or six? I think they certainly should be top five or six come Tuesday night when they unveil the first rankings. I think they're deserving of that, having gone undefeated, just knocking off a big-time rival in Michigan, who obviously was a part of the conversation up until, and still might be, I mean, still very well might be. But I think, to your point about the end of the season, if they beat Ohio State on November 20th at the shoe, and then they're able to follow that up with another win over Penn State, without a doubt, there's no question, regardless of what happens in a Big Ten championship or not, I think they deserve to be in. Because that is a gauntlet of a schedule to play Michigan now and then have to face Ohio State and Penn State, two ranked teams. Ohio State obviously fighting for their lives to get into the college football playoffs as well. So 
I think they've got a really, really big test in terms of the back end of their schedule. But there's so much at play in the Big Ten. I think it's one of the most unique conferences right now because what we see come out tomorrow night, it's going to be drastically different by the end of the season. So like, what we were saying on Sunday is I know there's going to be some fan bases that are outraged. Hold your outrage and be logical because so many things have to change based on the schedules for some of these top teams as we move forward. Well, we always say, first of all, we try not to get involved in the drama, but we always get sucked in because it's college football, and we start yelling at each other on this show, like, stop, sure. stop, it's a big troll. Um, well, first of all, it's a TV show. So if I were running the TV show, I would have Cincinnati number one just to piss everyone off. Um, no, oh, doubt, no, no doubt in my mind I would have, I would have them there. Now, if, if I'm doing it on my eye test and rankings, um, I, I think Georgia and Bama should be one and two. Is Bama clearly the best team that you've seen? Because you, you mentioned you saw Michigan State early against Miami. You saw mm-hmm. Notre Dame. Is, is anyone else in the conversation of the teams you saw? It has to be Alabama, right? Yeah, as of right now, it's so funny you mentioned that. I'm actually going to Athens this weekend for the Missouri-Georgia game, which I think will likely be a bloodbath. Uh, but I'm excited just to see Georgia in person because, to your point, I saw Alabama in back-to-back weeks against Mississippi State and then at home against Tennessee. And that defense is incredible. Will Anderson, Jr., is incredible. And I've been really impressed with Bryce Young just as a sophomore running that offense for Nick Saban. So seeing them firsthand, I think I'm biased because, you know, as I go through kind of like listing out my top six, four in, two out, I really have a hard time rewarding Ohio State and putting them, you know, I have them at six right now. I have a hard time putting them in the top four because they've lost. Like, I don't think you should reward teams who have lost. Well, why do I like Alabama so much? Because they've also <laughs> lost, and if I'm not going to reward Ohio State, how is it fair to reward Alabama? But at the same time, I think I'm biased because I've seen them in person. So I'm really excited to see Georgia and what they do this weekend. I think they'll handle Missouri. But I just want to see the personnel, and then I want our crew to be able to compare you know, when you put them, Georgia and Alabama, on the same field, what happens. And that's why I have Bama at two, because in terms of who can actually beat Georgia at this point of the season, I think Bama gives them a run for their money. I really do. And you know, I hope Cincinnati's not one. I don't think anybody in their right mind obviously put them. But I do hope that they're in the top four, because, I mean, how long are we going to say, hey, Cincinnati, you know, good effort, but it wasn't good enough. You know, you need to do this, 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 and this, jump through all these hoops, and if you may even be considered. And here they are clearing every single hoop. They're doing exactly what's been asked of them in years past. They had a good win against Notre Dame, and if Notre Dame continues to win, that only looks better for their resume. Uh, but they need to continue to have dominant wins. They can't mess around and play with their food like we saw against Tulane early on in that game, at least this past Saturday. Katie, you mentioned, uh, I'm going to jump in here, you mentioned in terms of uh, Ohio State. Ohio State mm-hmm. lost to Oregon on September 11th, and mm-hmm. yet, the uh, in the AP poll, or Ohio State is six, Oregon is seventh, um, followed up by Notre Dame, Michigan, all one lost teams. Wake Forest rounding out the top ten, which is undefeated. Do you think that Oregon belongs ahead of Ohio State, or because the Pac-12, eh, not that? I mean. It's somewhat bounced around. You thought Arizona State was going to pull away, then all of a sudden they lose. Uh, by the way, I got to jump. They, that cannot be the rationale. The Big Ten has is not any better than the Pac-12. Pac-12. I so, watch Big Ten football every week. Yeah, it I agree better. with you. And, and you know, it's here, here's the thing though, because uh, here in Vegas we're like, let's not worry about what happened in one game. That doesn't necessarily seal the deal. 
But then a lot of people are like, well, it's head to head. How do we put, you know, how do we come to grips with you? Know, you lost a head to head matchup. How can you be ranked ahead of that team? Uh, and I think it's, I think it's the most fair argument to make. And I honestly think that between those two teams will be the most telling aspect of tomorrow night's unveiling of the first rankings because there's so many new members on the committee, right? And you want to know the identity of this committee. What do they value? What do they not value, right? And I think where they put Oregon, whether that's in front of Ohio State or behind them, will be very telling as we move throughout the latter part of this season. But I'm with you guys. I think Oregon should be ranked ahead of Ohio State uh, because it's hard to go on the road in front of 100,000 fans, get a win without two of your best defensive players. And I know I keep seeing the rationale on Twitter and on ESPN, different places. of Well, the roster has changed. Oregon's a bit banged up. They're not playing necessarily as high level as they were when they beat Ohio State. Ohio State's finally trending in the right direction. Penn State's not a super great football team. Yeah, they've got a good defense, but Penn State just played Ohio State really, really close. Like, I'm not sold on Ohio State either. I think Oregon, because they got the head-to-head win, should be ranked ahead of Ohio State. I don't know if that's going to be the case tomorrow night. That's why I can't wait. Like, yes, it'll be interesting to see who's in the top four, but I think one of the most telling aspects of tomorrow night is going to be where did they rank Oregon in terms of that one win, the major win over Ohio State. Katie, that was awesome. Uh, we listen on Sundays. We uh, appreciate you coming on. We definitely want you on again before the end of the season. Uh, of course. I'm happy to come on whenever. You guys have a great night. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Katie. Yeah. Katie George, one of the sideline reporters, radio host, ESPN National. She does best week ever on Sunday's review of what happened in college football. I'm fired up. I try not to get too wrapped up because, again, it is a TV show, and this stuff will work itself out to a certain extent. Oklahoma is going to lose. Ohio State will lose again. So that's going to get messy. Oregon will lose again. Like, when I say work itself out, it's going to get messier. Yeah. But, like, right now what you're seeing, the whole um, Ohio State-Oregon ranking thing, it it doesn't matter. I I get that head-to-head should should matter most, but Oregon's gotten a little bit worse, and Ohio State has gotten better. Their redshirt freshman quarterback has gotten better. Their defense has gotten better. They demoted the D.C., so they've gotten better. Um, but, yeah, if, if anyone wants to come at you and they're like, well, you know, the Pac-12 is kind of a mess. The Big Ten's a mess. Yeah. You're a Big Ten guy. I mean, I watch – I mean, it's kind of a joke. Rutgers has been in it for whatever, six <laughs> years now. But I do – I watch a lot of it. Um, and Well, you're not an Atlantic Ten guy. Well, not anymore. Yeah, that was years ago. Um, the Big Ten has, you know, like Iowa this weekend. What was it, last weekend? Um, we'll see what Wisconsin is. The, yeah. the, the, the problem is the West Division in the Big Ten is completely lackluster. And you do have some really good programs, Michigan State, Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State in the East, but they're all going to knock each other off. The, Pac- the Pac-12 is, like, when people get on the Pac-12, it's been fine. The reason that no one can roll out to an awesome record is there's good depth. I have a question. I have a fun question for you because yeah. you, you like to needle people. You know. Never. No, of course. Uh, who, which fans do you like to, like, just to post something, if it's especially on Facebook because that's where it's more personal. Which fans do you like to post something that you may not even mean anything about? You don't even care, but you post it just knowing it'll get under their skin. The Ohio State fans or the Michigan fans? I know whose skin I like to get under. That's a tough call. I love to get I'm, under Ohio State. Yeah, fans. I was going to say, I think I enjoy it more <laughs> with Ohio State. It's really, it's it's all the elite fan bases. They, and they, I mean, that's why the, the CFP thing, and then eventually when it goes to a 8- or 12-team playoff is going to be even bigger. 
because the CFP thing gets people so pissed off and worked up every week. Yeah. And it's like it's a TV show. And I, I really meant what I said. Um, if I were a voter, I would have Cincinnati won mm. just to F with everybody. Yeah. And then I would just keep dropping them. No matter, I, I, they could win by 50 a game. I would just be like, well, you know, quality of opponent, just keep dropping them and eventually have them at five. You know, so then everyone gets worked up that way. Um, the whole thing's a game. You know, the whole it's. it's it, I mean, I, I want to let me go back for one second here before we go to timeout. Um, again, I want you to process the trash talk that Jimmy Lake, the Washington coach, was thrown out there. Washington is mediocre this year. Yes. Oregon's pretty good. And he literally said, we don't care about the Oregon rivalry because we're more about academic prowess and the, the good schools that we go against. He said, our battles really are the schools that we go against that have academic prowess, like uh, University of Washington, Notre Dame, Stanford, USC. By the way, Washington is a good school. Relax on, you know, you're going to compare yourself to Stanford. Yeah. Calm down there. He goes, uh, we go with uh, a lot of battles toe-to-toe all over to the end with those schools. So I think that's made up and pumped up in the media world. In our world, we battle more academically prowess teams. So, by the way, this quote and his speaking style, I don't really even understand what he's saying, which should be a given if you're touting your academics. Speak English. Well, I sw- I'm a verbatim, unless it's no. Adam Rittenberg who wrote out a quote no. in clunky fashion. I'm like, I don't even know. What are you saying? We don't care about the schools that suck academically we only want to beat the schools that are good on the academic side and we're fine winning six or seven games you may want to tell the washington boosters because i don't know what that's you know, that, that's what they're thinking i was just going to say that's the athletic director in the marketing department that's, and the sid that's, that's, that's their that's their department that. to, to to talk about academics and what they're doing in the classroom and yes you want to graduate but for him to say something like that is i mean i don't know if that's a slap in the face to himself or what but uh you should be focusing on the win column more than anything. Domestic drafts under four bucks and appetizers for two dollars, four dollars, and six dollars. All at Twin Peaks. And what a grab by Cole! Touchdown Jets! Holy smokes, what a grab! Whoa! That is amazing! You're listening to Cofield and Company. Live at Twin Peaks. Jets highlight. What? Yeah. Go figure. Two and five now. Mike White throws for over 400 yards in the game. You know, I'm going to do a giveaway right here, Willie. So right. uh, hold off for a second. 364 1100, 364 1100. First caller to tell Ari the last New York Jets quarterback. To throw for 400 yards wins a pair of Golden Knights tickets. How about that? All right. All right. Next Saturday, Golden Knights, Canucks, 364-1100, Last New York Jets quarterback like Mike White, he threw for 405. Who was the last New York Jets quarterback to throw for 400 yards? 364-1100, If you don't win these tickets, you can uh, get tickets in the flight deck. 160 bucks a ticket, all you can eat and drink. You can check out the details on how to get the tickets. You can buy them up at lvsportsnetwork.com. Use the promo code RADIO. Take advantage of the flight deck. Uh, these tickets are not in the flight deck. They are tickets for the Golden Knights Canucks game on the 13th. Last quarterback for the Jets to throw for over 400 yards. I'm a little disappointed in you. <clears throat> I, I, you know, I sent over my suggestions for the show. And I was really excited to for one of the topics to be that 
my Cowboys and your Jets won. And the couple of times that you brought up the Jets, you've been a little snarky and sarcastic about your team. The way that you presented it. I thought you'd be elated. No. (laughs) You gunning for another top pick? (laughs) Kind of. Isn't that screwed up thinking? Yeah, especially since since we're just finishing week eight. But, dude, that's that's reality. When, When you... When you look at the Jets situation, when you have a couple of GMs who go through like four or five drafts and literally don't get anyone, like you are so rock bottom that getting Zach Wilson in the draft and backed in the year before, if he can ever get healthy and, you know, and be out there on a regular basis, like you need three or four drafts to rebuild this thing. So, I mean, congrats on getting a win. Um, I Honestly, I don't, I don't care if they win a game at all when Mike White is playing. Now, when Zach Wilson is playing, I want to see him play well, and I, I want to see progress from him. Mm-hmm. But, Willie, they, they, they made all these trades. They have two firsts this year. They've got two seconds this year. By the way, the other first this year is Seattle. So, Seahawks, start losing, please, while Russ is out. Cut it out, Gino. Gino's revenge. But, yeah, they, that's it's weird because it's, like, it's antithetical to what a fan is supposed to be, but, like, Dealing with reality, they need more players. They need higher picks. This is an annual feeling for you. It's become that way, yeah, yeah, lately. Like, I used to get really worked up, but there's also reality. Like, they're not going to rebuild it in just a year or two or just with two drafts. They they, they, they killed themselves with terrible drafts for, like, five years. It's bad, man. It's bad. Now, the Chargers are in a weird position right now. Mm-hmm. Like, I, are you feeling as confident in the Chargers as – Maybe you were a couple of weeks ago. Herbert did not look good yesterday. I don't think the Patriots are any good. I think the Patriots are good on defense. But they're mostly dink and dunk on offense. And they kind of won that game easily. I just think that the, what's happening with the Chargers is that opposing coaches are figuring them out. And they're going to have to make some serious readjustments um, you know, to, to get back to where they were. I think the last overall great game that they played might have been the dominating game against the Raiders on the Monday night. Another team that the personnel on defense is not matching what production is expected. People expected the Chargers to be an awesome defense. Yesterday, there were anything about that. Football team, too, right? All those names on the football team, on Washington. Not great. No, uh, there was a, there were a lot. Well, there were expectations with this Chargers team, but there were expectations because before the season started, we didn't know what to expect from Dak Prescott. So a lot of people had the football team penciled in as the the uh, the favorite to win it. I did the NFC East. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you speak about the Chargers defense. Currently, this is a team that ranks dead last against the run it's allowed 1116 yards 5.1 yards per attempt both rank last passing they, they they do defend the pass a little bit better but they rank 25th and allowing 100 they've allowed 159 first downs and as this has progressed they've they've now lost at baltimore and they just lost to the patriots two seasoned Coaches, the surprising thing for the for me with the loss with the Patriots, number one, it's at home, but it comes off of a bye week where you think it would regroup. That was the other thing. As I was watching the game all day yesterday, I'm like, they do not look prepared today. Yeah. At all. Do you think it got maybe full of it? It started reading the stories about itself? 
the, the players, the coaches, I mean, all together. I mean, it, it, it dominated the Raiders, and then it gets in that shootout with Cleveland. Then it goes to Baltimore, and Baltimore just just brings it down to earth. This 34-6 uh, to six win. This division is completely, I mean, through seven weeks, it's not at all what I expected. How I thought, the, I thought I actually I thought the Raiders would be good, yeah, and I thought they could be five and two at this point. But certainly, I didn't yeah. expect the Chiefs to be three and four, and the Chargers. Uh, just I don't know the, the 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 side of the ball that I thought would be good is just not that good. You're going to ask? I was just going to ask you because you, you said division. This division. How surprised will you be? And I don't want you to go off of well, it's the Raiders, it's the it's typical Raiders, but just in general. How surprised would you be if they go to New York and lose, New Jersey and lose, Meadowlands? Will you be shocked? I won't be shocked, but I, if I were a Raiders fan, I'd be really irked. There's a, this, if you're going to be a division-winning team, you, these are the kind of games you have to win. Your favorite on the road. The Giants are not good. They're not. They're ready to fold. you got to win the game. That'll, that'll start to bring back bad memories of the last two years. Yeah, the, it, well, right? especially – Coming up again, just like with Charter, coming off of a bye week. Six and four and seven and five the last couple of years, and they fell in the end way short of making the playoffs. You got to win this game coming up. We're at Twin Peaks, Monday Night Football on the way. Chiefs and the Giants got the uh, select appetizers, two, four, and six dollars, and the big beer, the 22 ouncer, under four bucks. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. You're listening to Cofield and Company, live at Twin Peaks. Getting ready for Monday Night Football. We got the Chiefs and the Giants. Chiefs a big favorite in the game. We'll give our plays a little later on. Willie Ramirez is here. It's Cofield. Uh, We always like to bring on our hometown heroes, guys who uh, made it to the bigs. And DJ Campbell is one of those guys. Played in the NFL with the Panthers and the Dolphins and the Niners and the Cardinals. Out of Cheyenne. Went to Cal. Let's bring him in, talk a little football, talk about what we saw this weekend. What's up, buddy? How are you? Man, what's going on, fellas? How you doing? We're what's good. Up, DJ? We're good. We were just having a, a conversation about college football, and uh, we were comparing Oregon and Ohio State, and uh, all of a sudden we started going down this path of, like, the Pac-12 ain't as good as the Big Ten, and I kind of shut that down and – I think the Pac-12 actually has really good depth this year, and the fact that everyone beats each other up doesn't mean it's a bad conference. It's it, it's it's not, and for somebody I don't know, I might be a little bit biased because I played in the Pac-12, but um, it's it's tough every week, man. It's tough, and it's just unfortunate that West Coast football doesn't get the respect that it deserves, whether it's at the college level or the high school level. Um, but I mean, it's 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 not like you know, there's no scrub games every week, you know, like every, every week is a battle. And just because we're not playing against, you know, Bama every week or Auburn every week or anything like that doesn't mean that our, our conference is down or anything like we're the Pac-12 doesn't get its respect. Speaking of the Pac-12, we'll keep it right there for a minute. DJ, you, uh, you know, you came back to the community. You've done a lot of stuff with clinics and, and camps here, and you're always willing to be a part of this community that you grew up in and played in. And um, you've been a coach at Centennial, now at Canyon Springs, and you had a chance to obviously see Dorian Thompson-Robinson, and he's uh, he's having a decent season in the Pac-12 that we're speaking about. He is, man. He's 
I think he's very underrated. Um, coming out of Gorman, even though I was gone um, when he was when he was doing his thing at Gorman, I, I always keep up with the local talent, and I knew that he was good. Um, I don't think that, like I said, I don't think he gets the credit that he really deserves. Um, just because he may be, you know, kind of frail, or you know, he may have gone to UCLA as opposed to whatever. But the kid is good. Man, the kid is good. I've been I've been watching him, and I try and watch full games. So, like, I watched the whole Oregon game. Um, I forget what other games I've watched, but I've watched like two or three of their full games. And the kid can manage the game, and he can make plays. So he he needs to he needs to start getting his respect um, more. And it's always good. Any t- even though he went to Gorman, um, it's always good to see kids come from Las Vegas and succeed. Um, cause like I said, we don't get a lot of respect and, and our talent is very undervalued out here. So, so to see somebody go on to the next level, play in power five and have not only a little bit of success, but a lot of success is, is, is always a big thing for the city. Well, and let's talk about a program that you coached at. You were at Centennial and I'm not sure if you were there, I, you may have been, it may, this may have been before your time and, and you got there just after, but Two players in two different programs, one in the NFL and one in college from Centennial, Ramondre Stevenson, obviously, with the Patriots, and Savon Scarver, one of the most dangerous special teams players and return right. men in the nation. Um, I remember, I'll never forget the day I was covering a Centennial game and that kid came out with the cheetah cleats and they were they were airbrushed with cheetahs and I took a picture of them because I have cheetahs all over. Every email address I have is LV <laughs> Cheetah. I love the animal. But anyway... Those two right there, just repping. I mean, because you hear the the uh, you know Brevin Jordan yesterday, NFL debut scores a touchdown. We're talking about Dorian Gorman, Gorman, Gorman. But Centennial, there's a couple of players right there. One in the NFL, one tearing it up in the Mountain West. And that's and and when I first got to Centennial, so I got there in the 2018 season. Um, that's all you heard was Ramadre and and Savon. Um, I knew about Ramadre because of the possibility of him going to Oklahoma. Um, but Savon, I didn't really know much about, but um, I was over there with, uh, you know, recent Centennial grad and currently uh, Colorado State receiver, Jarek Robinson. Yep. And Jarek, Jarek looks up to Savon like no other. Like, it's, it's crazy. So, of course, you know, me being kind of like the historian that I am, I go and look up, like, hey, who is this guy? And it's, it's electric. It's electric, man. Like, when he gets the ball in his hand, he's, he's one of those, like, you got to hold your breath because something may happen. Yes. As and it's and it's ironic. The first game that I saw him actually play in was the game against UNLV, and he uh, I think he tied the record um, on a return against UNLV. And it was like I said, it was ironic because he did it back home in Vegas. Right. Um, Seven. But career. you know, you know, Ramadre is big, physical. Just I can only imagine what he was like at Centennial. <laughs> The, the things that the things that he's doing now is like, man, what was he doing to these high school kids? I uh, I saw Ramadre break an eighty-yard touchdown against Gorman in the playoffs. So that so when I see him break runs, kind of reminds me of what Steven Jackson did coming out of here. Uh, I want to read some excerpts to you real quick. Um, that rule has to go. How else is he supposed to make the tackle? Come oh on, my man! Gosh. Football is such an offensive bias game. Can someone oh suggest gosh. anything else the DB could have done? Hey, what'd you make of that? The Jets and the Bengals. I think that was a, an absolute terrible call. Terrible, because one because 
you have to think as a defender, as a defensive player, you are taught to go low, wrap up the legs. Like you can't run without your the offensive player can't run without his legs. So that's what the defensive back was going for. I think that with the whoever makes these rules, they don't take into effect like into effect like you know anatomy, physiology. You know the fact that in order to yeah. get this guy's legs, I literally have to duck in order to grab his legs, and it's also not fair because the defender was going low first. The 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 guy the ball carrier saw him and then lowered his lowered his shoulder and lowered his head, so the defender ended up being at fault. I think the I think it's a bad rule. Um, I saw um, an interview that Tom Brady said uh, a few weeks ago or, or a month ago or something, saying that that guys are getting penalized for offensive mistakes, and it's taken away from the game, which it is because that was a big play in the game. Like I think. Um, New York end up going down and scoring on that drive, but it's like what else was what else was the guy supposed to do? And as a defensive player who's played in the NFL, what these people, whoever these rule makers are, whatever, what they don't understand is a lot of the a lot of the get, the rule changes are directly affecting the livelihoods of these players. So you have you have penalties like hit on a defensive player or you know unnecessary roughness like the call was the other day. And these are costly penalties. However, what they're not taking into consideration is, hey, you cost us 15 yards or 30 yards or whatever on this play that cost us to lose the game. We're going we're gonna to release you because you're not clutch and you're not, you, know, you can't make the big play in, in crunch time. So guys are losing their jobs over these penalties, yep. and, but, it's, but it's taken away from the game. So it's like I've been taught this my entire life, and now you want me to switch it up and – how, how am I supposed to do that? Just let the receiver catch the ball? Because last time I checked, if, if a guy is catching the ball on you consistently, you don't have a job the next day. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's, it's, yeah. There's a lot of things that's, that's not taken into consideration with all of these rules. And football is football at the end of the day. It's going to be physical um, regardless. But you can't take away from how the game is supposed to be played just because maybe somebody gets hit too hard. I understand hit leading with the crown of your helmet and things of that sort, but if it's a clean hit with the shoulder, but the guy got hit really hard, you can't necessarily call that uh, a penalty because I don't know if it's my defensive mentality, but if you step inside that square, there is no such thing as unnecessary roughness or, or hit on a, on a defenseless player. You step on the field, you have to have your head on the swivel at all times, just like I do. DJ Campbell, former college football player, Cal in the NFL with the Panthers, the Dolphins, the Niners, the Cardinals. Let's close on an NFL uh, question moving towards the second half. Are the Cardinals going to take this from here and win 13, 14 games uh, after this great start? I know that uh, they're a little dinged up, a little dinged up now at quarterback as uh, he turned yeah. his ankle. But uh, are the Cardinals for real? I think so. I think so. Um, at first, everybody kind of, you know, questioned the, the whole Cliff Kingsbury move. I know I did, and I think it was personal bias because um, I was a big fan of Steve Wilkes. Um, he was my DB coach when I was in Carolina and worked very hard, and, and I was excited when he got the opportunity. And so when he got let go after one season, I kind of had a sour taste in my mouth. 
uh, in Arizona, and plus, you know, that was the last team I played for. But I think that they're doing everything right. Um, I, I know that J.J. Watt just got hurt, and that's, that's really unfortunate. But I still think that they have the pieces to be successful um, with guys like DeAndre Hopkins, you know, A.J. Green. Um, you have my, uh, my man Junkyard Dog over there who's still doing it, um, Marcus Golden. Um, you got Chandler. You, they have the pieces. Buda Baker, who I am a huge fan of. Like, you still have the pieces over there to be successful. I can honestly see them winning no less than, than 12 games. I, I, I think they'll come second out of the, um, out of the NFC West, especially now that uh, um, L.A. just got Vaughn Miller. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, but I think, that, I think that they have a legit chance. I think that I, I can see them pushing second, third round in playoffs. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, super talent. you got next-level talent, Kyler Murray. Um, they're, they're crazy. So uh, we appreciate a couple minutes today. We'd love to get you on down the road definitely before the end of the season. Oh, yeah, no problem, man, no problem. Just, just give me a heads-up notice, and I'll, I'll love to be there. Okay. Thanks, Thank DJ. You. Appreciate you. All right, thanks, guys. When I, uh, you know, I'll joke around about hometown heroes sometimes. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's creeps. Yeah. Not a creep. Good no. guy, right? Good guy. You know what? Ever since the first time I met him at the Brandon Marshall Clinic out at Canyon Springs, where he's a coach, um, been an absolute awesome guy. I'd run into him at the gym and uh, just been great ever since. Ice cold 29 degree beer for under $4 and cheap appetizers all game long. Get down here to Twin Peaks.